Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Joining us once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, it's great to be back here on the mic with you. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan, for having me. As always, it's good to be back with you. So, Shane, there's a lot to catch up on. Perhaps a good place to start is acknowledging how this week was the annual U.N. General Assembly, which takes place in New York. I have to say, as someone who works in New York, the presence was definitely felt uh, witnessing diplomats. I know many heads of state gathered, including President Biden, to discuss a wide range of international matters. So what were some of the themes, focuses of this year's meeting? And did anything in particular stand out to you? Yeah, no, you're right. You know, with a um, summit like this in the UN, you have oh, about 140 heads of state uh, in attendance. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, President Biden really was the, the, the premier uh, attendee of those uh, heads of state, but you didn't have uh, some of the other premier uh, heads of state like uh, France's uh, Emmanuel Macron or um, uh, uh, Rishi Sunak from uh, the United Kingdom or Xi Jinping from China, who uh, I don't think has ever come. So, you know, you had some, you know, misses from that perspective, but still with, you know, uh, that many heads of state in uh, one gathering, you know, you cover a wide variety of topics. Obviously, the the war in Ukraine uh, and Russia's aggression was kind of uh, topic number one. Uh, but you had a number of other things, you know, ranging from climate change to um, uh, natural disasters like the floods in Libya uh, to uh, the violent crisis in Haiti that were all um, issues that were brought up. Um, Iran kind of uh, tried to put uh, the U.S. on its heel and, you know, essentially trying to invite the U.S. to come back to the Iran-U.S. Uh, nuclear agreement from years ago. So, you know, there was there was plenty to talk about, you know, but uh, I, I'm not sure how much progress was actually made. Well, interesting to hear some takeaways. You did mention Iran. I do want to follow up on Iran a bit later in the conversation, though. Hearing about the notable heads of state not in attendance, interesting to hear that, though among those in attendance this week at the UN was Ukrainian President Zelensky. Uh, This followed by a visit this week to Washington, D.C., where he met with congressional leaders. What kind of message did President Zelensky deliver this week, and what does does the commitment to the war effort by the U.S. and NATO look like today? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was uh, quite stark, uh, his uh, appearance. And at the same time, you had um, Vladimir Putin, who did not come uh, and attend, you know, because he actually risks um, potential arrest when he travels because of, you know, um, war crimes committed by Russia. So, you know, I think it it was absolutely noticeable that Zelensky came and, you know, important for him and the people of Ukraine in their uh, ongoing effort in the war. Um, And I think his appearance is needed to try and continue to rally other countries around um, 
uh, Ukraine. You know, you're seeing a little bit of fatigue from some countries, you know, including the U.S., where you have a number of U.S. lawmakers uh, pushing back about um, meeting President Biden's request for another $24 billion in funding uh, for Ukraine. I would still say the you know majority of U.S. lawmakers support uh, aid to Ukraine, but a lot of them are starting to, you know, um, ask more questions about how the money is being spent and how, you know, uh, Ukraine plans to win the war and, and just ensuring that, you know, they're getting value for uh, the money that they're sending to Ukraine. Uh, at the same time, you're seeing pullback from some other countries. Uh, Poland uh, recently announced that they're not going to be sending uh, some arms to Ukraine and rather, you know, they're looking to kind of fortify their own defenses. So I think there's a little bit of fatigue uh, amongst, you know, NATO and, and uh, other Ukraine allies. But, you know, there still is, I think, a sense of urgency and need for Ukraine to be able to protect itself against uh, Russia. Uh, to that point, Shane, I did want to ask as a follow-up, a couple of weeks ago we talked about, at that time, a potential summit involving Russian President Vladimir Putin as well as North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. Uh, that did in fact take place. What exactly came of that and what are the implications? Yeah, no, that meeting did happen and uh, North Korean uh, leader Kim Jong-un was in Russia for several days. So this, this appeared to be a very well-received uh, visit on both their sides, which would also, you know, bring a lot of concerns from the U.S. and the West uh, in general, because, you know, uh, while, you know, the end of the meeting, you know, uh, had nice pronouncements of the, of the Russian-North Korea uh, friendship, you know, there weren't hardcore uh, deliverables. You know, we didn't see concrete you know, uh, what Russia got out of the meeting and what North Korea got out of the meeting. But all signs point to, you know, um, North Korea will be providing more uh, weapons and arms to Russia for their uh, uh, fight in Ukraine. And, you know, uh, North Korea in exchange will probably be getting food, um, maybe medical supplies because they're still behind from the impact of COVID-19 um, and other technologies. I would note it was very interesting that, you know, they, uh, the leaders went to um, Russia's kind of um, uh, launch pad for a lot of their uh, uh, rockets and spaceships. Um, so, you know, it, it peaked, has peaked interest that, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un continues to look for modern technology to, you know, launch uh, rockets in not only, you know, uh, into uh, the skies, but possibly, you know, uh, into orbit of Earth and potentially have its sights on some kind of uh, space program. So a lot going on there, but we don't have kind of concrete takeaways. But I think the, the takeaway for us is that that relationship is, Strong, and, you know, the West is very concerned about where it's going to lead to. Well, thank you, Shane, for providing some takeaways in terms of what we know. Unfortunately, not a step in the right direction. I do want to stick with geopolitics, follow up on Iran, uh, because earlier this week we did witness five Americans released from Iranian custody. This in a prisoner swap, which has resulted in some controversy amongst 
U.S. lawmakers. So what exactly is at the roots of the controversy, and has this development at all improved relations between the U.S. and Iran? Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, it's always great to see uh, Americans who uh, wrongly detained, you know, being reunited with their families. So I'm always grateful for that. But, you know, there is a lot of concern uh, from lawmakers of how this transpired. You know, uh, the U.S. and Iran um, didn't really uh, engage in kind of direct negotiations here. It was kind of through uh, Qatar and other um, countries that helped facilitate this. And what you saw over many months was, uh, the U.S. kind of uh, coming to the conclusion that, you know, to move forward with uh, this issue, but also the general Iran-U.S. relationship, um, it needed to unfreeze um, Iranian funds. So, you know, preceding the release of these five prisoners, uh, the U.S. unfroze about $6 billion in Iranian funds. And, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of concern that essentially – the U.S. is paying for the release of, you know, hostages, even though they may technically be prisoners, you know, they're, they're all seem to be wrongfully detained. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost a, you know, um, uh, a choice of words. So some see it as you're paying for hostages, right? And that leads to a concern that, you know, you're encouraging Iran to, to take more hostages, essentially, so that they can continue to try and push the U.S. to release more funds and maybe even re-enter the Iran uh, nuclear deal. So I think, you know, this um, chapter may be closed for, you know, those Americans who are now with their loved ones. But uh, a lot of concern that, you know, this leads to further chapters of, of um, back and forth between the U.S. and Iran that, um unfortunately, could lead to more uh, Americans, you know, being uh, used as bargaining chips. Unfortunately, it sounds like the relationship will remain tense and complicated, though, as you pointed out on the humanitarian side, a bright spot to see those five Americans having come home, which is great. Coming back stateside, Shane, before we close out, I do want to follow up. We've been speaking about the U.S. government shutdown over the past few weeks. I understand House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is being faced with tensions within the ranks of congressional Republicans, this while trying to achieve a bipartisan solution. So where does this all stand today with respect to the negotiations? Yeah, this is, you know, pretty much all consuming in D.C. right now. You know, we're, um, gosh, less than 10 days away from uh, a, sh- a potential shutdown if no action is taken. And it's interesting because while it is all consuming in D.C., it's not as chaotic um, in the sense of what we saw earlier this year when we were talking about the death ceiling, because, you know, the death ceiling had a real world impact on the markets and could have had a, uh, an, uh, an enormous negative impact on the economy. If there's a shutdown, which is looking more likely, you know, there is a, a, some impact on the uh, markets and the economy, but it's, it's not uh, uh, that uh, big, um, you know, so, a little bit less concerned, but this chaos is um, growing um, by the day right now as Speaker McCarthy struggles really with just a handful of Republicans who remain defiant and trying to find the solution out of this. You know, the overwhelming majority of House Republicans are, are you know, really uh, 
in agreement how to move forward. But it's it's literally about a, a less than a dozen Republicans kind of holding this up. So, you know, how does Speaker McCarthy get himself out of this remains unknown. You know, does he have to make a deal with Democrats to get the sufficient votes? Do Senate Republicans, you know, make a deal with Senate Democrats? And then essentially that becomes the deal that Speaker McCarthy and Republicans have to live with. And if that is the case, that could cost uh, Speaker McCarthy his job. And, you know, he may uh, be um, no longer Speaker. So this is fluid, um, you know, but I would say, you know, Speaker McCarthy is, is a savvy politician. He has gotten himself out of, you know, um, predicaments like this before. So, you know, maybe he'll, he has another rabbit uh, up his sleeve. But, you know, I think when we kind of take a look at this right now, we're preparing for uh, the likelihood of a shutdown in a week and a half. And then the question is, you know, how long does that shutdown last? And, you know, what is the end result? Um, so things remain fluid in D.C., and I think they will for the coming days. Well, Shane, thank you for keeping our listeners informed on the latest. As you pointed out, the clock is quickly winding down for a solution to be achieved. So we'll definitely pick back up on this when we speak again next week. Though, Shane, as always, thank you for dropping by the podcast for today, covering a wide range of developments, a very productive conversation as always, and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be with you, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Shane. Again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. A quick housekeeping item I do want to point out to our listeners, as well as our clients of UBS, that you can locate the latest Washington Weekly publication up on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. Again, that's UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Van Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 